0: what is up my friends welcome to fatherhood field notes podcast where i interview incredible fathers gaining wisdom from their stories for you and i to grow in our craft i'm your guide ned shout father to five kiddos currently ages 10 to 17 and husband to my rad wife sarah working on our 20th year of marriage so yep i'm in the thick of it and i'm working daily to rebel against the low expectations for fathers and create a world where fathers know who they are as they show up for their families you and I have the greatest opportunity to impact our world through the way we embrace our fatherhood role. This episode is brought to you by the adventure of fatherhood, helping men discover their powerful fatherhood role and build their fatherhood skills. The role the fathers to serve, guide, provide, protect, and of course, find joy and have fun in the messiness of it all. Today's guest is my friend, Clay Rojas, and we have quite the conversation from teenage dad to police officer to U.S. Marine to federal prisoner to pastor and now marriage and family therapist. Enjoy the journey. Enjoy meeting my friend, Clay. Clay, what is up, my friend? Welcome to Fatherhood Field Notes. How are you feeling today? I'm good, brother. How are you? I'm doing great. It's Friday morning. Feeling good. Looking forward to the week. I haven't seen my wife in two weeks. She came home yesterday. Oh, man. On and then she was gone. And so it was, it was nice. It was nice. So feeling ready for a weekend with the family
1: nice yeah that's what i plan to do as well so we're on the same page right on
0: all right first question how old do you find yourself today
1: that's a great question i think i would have to put that in two categories i do feel my age i'm 49 i'll be 50 in april so i would say in terms of like where i am today mentally and spiritually i feel 50. in my body i probably feel 30. i've had a few phases in my life where i've been in really great shape and I don't think I'm quite there. Like I'm not in like Marine Corps shape, like when I was in the military, but I'm not in 50 year old shape, like your average 50 year old in my body. I feel like around 30 and in my mental, and my mind, I think I'm right on track.
0: Love it, dude. Okay. So well, I would never have guessed that you were 49 question for you. You've got what? Six months essentially until you turn 50. Is there anything that when you turned 40, you're like, before I'm 50, I want to X, Y, or Z. Was there anything that you wanted to do in this decade that you haven't done, I guess would be the question. Or if there is something that you did do. So either way.
1: Yeah. Well, it's interesting because as I was turning 40, and I know you know some of my story, but I was turning 40 in prison. Okay. So there was a lot of things I wanted to do. Like yeah, I, just I guess a, so. I guess so. I just wanted a nice warm bed this decade. But all joking aside, I think one of the things that I said that I wanted to do was I wanted to be a homeowner, and uh, I got the, okay. and I got the opportunity to become a homeowner three years ago. Bought a house in Roseville, California. Still own it today, even though I'm not there. I'm renting it out right now. But nice. that was a huge thing. But you know what's crazy about that? And this gives you a little perspective on like my goals and what my goals feel like, and then my wife. So for me, it was a huge goal to be a homeowner because I felt like that phase of life, once we opened the door on that, it was going to like complete something in her. Mm. And I remember the day that they called us, they gave us the keys and they were like, hey, the house is ready. It was a brand new build out in West Roseville. And they were like, you guys go look at the house and enter. And I remember giving her the keys and she took the keys, opened the door. And for me, that was like, wow, this is like a moment of redemption. This is a moment of like, it's all coming back, you know, everything we lost. And for her, it wasn't that. Like for her, the Hmm. goal was just to get me back. Mm. And she didn't tell me it that day, but I remember in conversation months later, I was just like, you know what? Remember that day we got the new house and you just didn't seem all that excited. She's like, my dream is not the big house and the Mm. things. And she's like, my dream was just to get you back. Wow. So she's like, when I walked through that door that day, like my goal, my dream, I was already fulfilled. So the house was not like, oh wow, now we've made it right? The American dream, so to speak. And it was crazy. just gave me crazy perspective on like, sometimes we have goals and we have things that we think are going to be just awesome and amazing. And it was, I'm not downplaying it, but for her, she's like, I've already arrived because like our family's back together. And it just gave me like some really good perspective on what I perceive as something that's going to maybe fulfill her heart was like, sometimes we're way off.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Oh man, that's good. That's good. Okay. I'm sure we're going to come back to some of this stuff. So before we do leave this fully though, is there anything you want to do in the next six months before you turn 50? I know it's like time is time, but sometimes there's these like these milestones. So is there anything in the next six months that Clay is going to do before he turns 50?
1: I don't have a specific thing. I think one of the things is I wanted to get in better shape and I'm literally in the process of doing that now. And so probably when we made the move from California to Kansas City, I said, man, as soon as I go out there and I have the time, I'm going to get in better shape. And I've been doing that. So I think that's really right now. My only goal is just my physical health.
0: Love it. Yeah, dude, that's a good one. Because so much comes with that. I mean, it's not just looking good. It's feeling good. It's like a different level of power, not in a negative sight. But when you walk into a room, you know, I've been thinking more because I my goal is before I turn 40 to get in the best shape of my life, which I am, I just turned 40 in July. And a lot changed, man. It was like a spiritual journey for me for real. I've just noticed a lot of difference in my life in doing so. Getting in better physical shape. Yeah. Getting in shape. It's had a huge impact on me and the presence, the connection to myself and to those around me. Yeah. Has been really good. So I've been thinking more about David's mighty men in old Testament. You got these 300 dudes who it's like, yeah, we don't need 10,000 soldiers. We need 300 of David's mighty men. Like, what does it mean to be one of those dudes? Yeah. I want to be one of those dudes.
1: Yeah, it's crazy, dude. Our physical fitness, I've seen it do so many things for me in business. Like when I walk into meetings, when I go meet yeah, people, doubt doubt. when people see physical fitness, and I don't think it's in a vain way, but I think their level of respect goes up. When you walk into a room, you command presence. That is not arrogance, but it's like this guy's taking care of himself and there's something to be said for that. I think for me, more than anything, it's been my mental health, my physical health and my mental health. You can't separate the two. It's been part of my mental health journey as well to get into better shape. And it's just a good idea for guys that are my age, about to turn 50 years old to be in the best shape possible.
0: Yeah. And a couple thoughts on that. It's like, if I go into a church and I hear a pastor on stage talking about the importance of discipline, spiritual discipline and discipline, and he's totally overweight, it does not carry the same weight as if you... Are in shape. And I'm listening to a book right now by my friend Tanner Guzzi. He actually coaches men how to dress based on how you are inside. And he's like, you have a moral obligation to dress well for your kids. And that doesn't mean you have to have a certain like if you wear a backwards hat and north face hoodie, that's your style. And your glasses, like you have a style. That's all good. Just make sure you're intentional about what you're doing. But Mm -hmm. I was listening to it yesterday. And it really unlocked for me. He talked about how women dress for beauty and how men dress for power and not in the sense of like, I want to have power over people. But when I want to walk into a room as a man, as a father, as a husband, I should be carrying an authority with me. And it does come down to my appearance. If I just roll in with sweatpants and no shoes and like a wife beater, I'm communicating something, then something else. So anyway, I love that you're on that path. Really good. Really good. Yeah,
1: I saw a bumper sticker. I don't know if it was a bumper sticker or if it was something on social media. Anyway, I saw this guy. He had like a sticker and it said, Goals in life. And it said, Be hard to kill and love Jesus. Mm -hmm. And I never forgot that. And I know that mental stability, physical fitness, all that stuff. I mean, being a protector of your family. Maybe I'm biased and maybe I got that military in me, but it's really hard to be a protector of your family if you're not in good shape. If you're out of shape, I call that victim weight Mm. and i don't want to be in that category
0: dude somebody said something the other day that i thought was a real good way to communicate to men why physical fitness should be important they said if there was an emergency and the men in the room looked around the room when they looked at you would they see an asset or a liability to help with the emergency there you go oh my gosh bro that's (laughs) heavy because like the chance of something drastic happening to our kid or us having to save our kid or whatever, it's unlikely. But but say there's an earthquake or a fire or whatever kind of emergency, are you going to be looked at as like, Ned, Clay, get over here. Let's do this. Let's take charge. Let's fix this. Or oh God, I got to help
1: this guy too. Hey, but you know what? I mean, you say it's unlikely, but I mean, think about this, man. I don't know where we're at, but I know it's in the hundreds. Think about how many school shootings we've had in 2022 and 2023. I always try to picture myself like, if there was a school shooting, well, my daughter's not in school right now. She's homeschooling. But when we were in California, I, I would always say to myself, if there was a school shooting at my daughter's school and I had to jump in my truck and roll over there to try to get her out of there, would I be in shape enough to run in there, do whatever I had to do and get my daughter out safely? And the answer has to be yes.
0: You have to at least feel like you've positioned yourself or trained yourself that if a situation arises, you're not going to look back and say, man, I wish I could run a mile. I wish I could do a pull up. I wish I could, you, you know. Go whatever yeah i wish man, i could yeah. throw two
1: kids on my shoulders and run out of a school or whatever yeah
0: whatever it might be yeah, yeah. dude yeah well i hope dudes listening are inspired like it matters this isn't just about a six-pack and looking good at the pool this has a lot more, oh, yeah. A lot more. yeah
1: that's nothing man it's about well, that's a benefit
0: byproduct
1: <laughs> it is <laughs> it really is but yeah at the end of the day man we got to be protectors of our families and it's really hard to do that when your body doesn't want to cooperate with what your mind is telling it to do
0: yeah all right. How many years you've been married?
1: We are going on 16 in January. Love it. Love it. And how many kiddos do you have? So we have five all together. We're a blended family. We okay. got my wife had two girls when we met. I had two girls and then we made one together. So we have a total of five girls. Nice, bro.
0: Love it. And what's the age span? The youngest and the oldest?
1: The oldest is 30. She just turned 30 this month. And the youngest is 14. Dude,
0: got a spread there. Okay, that's what's up, though. It's really not that much of a spread, but you definitely have gone through some different stages. And in thinking about that, when did you embrace fatherhood? At what point were you like, man, fatherhood is really important?
1: Yeah, that's a great question, bro. Because when I had my first one who just turned 30, who I would say our relationship, you know, there's been so many ups and downs in my life. But as an 18 going on 19 year old dad, dude, I had no idea what I was doing. I had no business having sex, getting anyone pregnant. I mean, it was crazy. I had no idea what I was getting into, and I didn't appreciate fatherhood at all. Parts of me wanted to run from it. Parts of me, I was scared. As an 18-year-old, 19-year-old, you just don't know. I would say that it really didn't hit me until I had my second one. Things were different. I was a little bit more mature, and I was married. Now, this was from my first marriage. So I just approached it a little bit differently. But guess what? Every year something changes for me about being a dad. It gets more crucial and it's gotten more crucial every year, probably for the last, I don't know, 10, maybe 20 years. Every year I find myself growing and I find myself having different perspectives about what it means to be a dad and not just a dad, but a girl dad. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And because of the age range, I have to be a different type of girl dad for each one of them. For the 30-year-old, the 30-year-old, her and I just had a full-blown, like we have great talks and we have a great relationship now. Thank God she redeemed that because she got the worst of me. Yeah, She didn't get the best version of me. She got the worst version of me. And now we're friends and we were just having a conversation about relationships and this and that. So I have to put on a different dad hat than I do with my 14-year-old. Having the experience of wearing different dad hats, because they're in different phases of life, has made it more crucial to me to be more present for them and in different ways. So my perspective on being a dad, it keeps developing and it's like an ongoing, it's like a Google doc, man. It just keeps updating every year because I have to be a different dad every year.
0: Mm -hmm. What are a couple things that are really important? So as a dad to a 30 year old daughter, what are a couple things that are important for dads to know about being a dad to a daughter? Since you've hit a few states, What would you advise to the dad who has five, 10, 15 year old?
1: Yeah, I would say that the two biggest things for me, I've had to learn how to deal with my own trauma and my own baggage and really look at the things in life that are impacting me and my decision making as a father. For example, I really had to overcome the hurdle of feeling disrespected. So because I come from a military background and because of how it is in my culture and because of other things that have happened in my life, like prison and things like that, when I give an order or when I tell my kids to do something and they would ask a question back, my initial perception of that question, it didn't matter what the question was, it's disrespect, Mm. right? It's disrespect. If I'm giving you an order, I'm telling you to do something and you ask a question, it's disrespect. I really had to get over that and understand that they are just trying to get clarification or they're just trying to understand. But I had to tackle some of my own trauma mm. because I was responding to them from a trauma response, fight or flight, like, oh, I'm telling you to do something. And you're asking a question like in the Marine Corps, when you give an order, no one asks questions. Right. They just do. And then I remember my wife having a conversation with me one time. She was like, you are not a sergeant in the Marine Corps anymore your kids get to ask questions and it's not disrespect. Your kids are trying to understand. They're trying to learn. And so I would say the first thing to fathers is get over taking it personal or the disrespect factor. I think respect, it's a big deal for men. Yeah, for sure. Especially for men who grew up in environments where they could not express their feelings or ask questions to their own father. So our father wounds are playing a role in how we father now. And because I didn't have that, opportunity when I was young and it was considered disrespect, then when I'm giving an order and you answer me or you challenge me, then I'm automatically going to feel disrespected and threatened. And guess what? As men, we got to get over that because our kids are just trying to learn. They need a safe space. You need to be a safe place where they can ask the question.
0: Yeah. I love this, dude. Get over your own trauma. So that means go to work on it, which means like, it's easy to say, get over it. But clearly, there's like a whole bunch of work that goes with that. And then don't take it personal. Don't take it personal. Yeah. Yeah, don't take it personal. I mean, I find myself taking things personal. And it's like, then you're just being a victim. You know, it's like, dude, you are supposed to be the leader here. And that doesn't mean the leader who's mad when people don't do it your way, it means I'm going to serve. And when things don't go my way, I'm going to find different angles. I'm going to be okay when my kids push back, dude, actually kind of a cool thing. Cause I've been working deeper. I've been married 19 years, working more on my marriage. And I was having this conversation with God about it. "I'm like, dude, and He's just bringing clarity, like, dude, don't take this personal. Like this isn't about you. This yeah. is about who I need you to be for her. And I think the same thing goes for our kids. Like if you have kids and a wife, you have been entrusted that you have what it takes to take care of these people. Like these people have been placed in your hands to care for and nurture. And so I think it's super critical for us to understand our role, our role. So I think that dealing with your own stuff, doing the deep work and then not taking it personal. One
1: more thing I'll throw out. Don't make the open door policy a trap.
0: Oh, my gosh. Freaking yes. Talk to me about this. This is gold. Do you know what I mean by that? Yes. I mean, it just hit me hard, but I want you to explain what you mean.
1: Especially for a girl dad's. If you're a girl dad listening to this and you're like, oh, sweetie, it's an open door policy. You can tell me anything. And then she tells you something. And it's something that let's just be honest, most dads don't want to hear about their daughter's sex life or relationship life or anything like that. But you put it out there. It's an open door policy. I'm a safe space. And then she walks through that door and you crush her. Dude, that is the that will stick with a kid forever. And you just turn that open door policy into a trap. And once you violate that, it's going to be nearly impossible for your daughter to ever trust you again with that type of information. The importance of this is that when your daughter, as a girl dad, when your daughter is having problems with her spouse, with her boyfriend or whatever, you need to be the first person that she can trust because you're the first man that she was ever supposed to trust. Yes. And if you crush her and she walks through that door, then she's going to seek that elsewhere. And that's sad. So as a father of a 30-year-old now, I've had to hear some things and I've had to swallow my pride and work on my feelings and my emotions and be able to hear about something sexual that happened or something, whatever, but she's trusting me. And I think for girl, dads, that's one of the hardest, you know, it's different to have a conversation with your 30 year old son about his sex life. That's easy. But a conversation with your 20, 30 year old daughter, 21 year old daughter about her sex life. Now that's rare. Yeah, man. Yeah.
0: I had a beautiful moment with my oldest when she was about 12 where she shared something with us just about kissing a boy, you know, you're 12, but you weren't supposed to. But my wife and I, we went into this conversation going, this is all about how we respond. Regardless of what happened, this is all about how we respond. And I'll tell you, we say. responded so well. We responded so well. It doesn't mean there wasn't consequence to things. It doesn't mean that there was That's like right. this a little bit of a trust breakdown, but the response to it wasn't the blow my shit go crazy be an idiot and so it's led to because I was very clear I was like hey I want us to acknowledge like you share something that you felt so nervous and we're having a conversation around this and dude it has literally changed the way that we've communicated not changed the way but set a tone like you're saying through middle school and high school to have dialogue and trust. and I think that what you're sharing is so critical for dads to hear because I think sometimes we think we're supposed to either be naive and act like there's nothing ever, which is ridiculous. What doesn't it just have to be with a like relationship but with anything? and then the opportunity to cultivate that relationship of trust. And I love what you said here, man. I wrote this down. You're the first man she should trust. You I mean are. dude, gold. Yeah. Gold. Dude, love it. Okay, let's keep cruising here. When you think about fatherhood, what have you learned about yourself? You've dropped a couple things. Sounds like you've lived a life. We talk about teen dad. You've dropped prison a couple times. You've dropped military. There's been these phases, but let's just stick on fatherhood for a moment. What have you learned about yourself through the process of being
1: a father? I probably will say... (laughs) One of the things that I learned about myself is how unprepared I was to be a father. And what I also learned that a lot of things that happened in my childhood, a lot of the reasons why I was unprepared as a father were not my fault, but it's 100% my responsibility to make sure that I prepare myself now and do the work that it takes so you know a lot of guys i work with guys now i'm doing a class right now called forever fathers we just did our second session last night and the first thing we talk about is our father wounds we talk about our baggage and our history and all and i even asked the class i'm like hey everybody here raise your hand if you feel like your dad prepared you to be a good dad no one ever raises their hands ned i've ever had one guy raise his hand and so we acknowledge it but then we say now it's our responsibility, though, to be that man, to be that father that we never had. And I think what I've learned about being a father is that it's 100 percent my responsibility to fill the gaps where there are gaps and to work my hardest to be the best version of a dad that my kids can have. Because I can't go back and tell them, oh, it's your grandpa's fault. Can't do that. Or your great grandpa's fault or whatever. Like, we can't blame it. It's on us. And so, again, it's not our fault what happened to us but it is our responsibility to make it right.
0: Yeah, dude, it's the truth. You're not denying that there's impact from your story. Yes, there's impact. Yes, I didn't cause this, but I'm not gonna live as a victim and blame that of why I'm continuing to show up as a douche. I'm going to take ownership and responsibility and take action towards it and realize like I'm going to fail. I'm going to make some mistakes, but I'm not going to blame those on somebody else. I'm going to chalk it up to I just I didn't know I'm not prepared, but okay, I'm going to figure this out now. And I think that's life. That's how it's supposed to be. That's how we learn is from those failures. The hope is that Mm -hmm. they become like micro failures and not these drastic,
1: drastic ones. Yeah, Hmm.
0: that's good, dude. Uh, I like that. When you think about the role of the father, I think you've already shared some things. But if you were to say, you know, you're clearly in this zone right now as you're teaching this fatherhood class. If somebody were to say, hey, what's the role of the father? What would your response be to them?
1: My response would be, and this is just Clay's response. This is not the general response. I feel like my role as a father is to show my kids what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. Yeah. That's my goal. That's what I'm aiming for every day. Like, I can't force them to love Jesus. I can't force them to follow Jesus. Yeah. But I can show them what it looks like. And mm-hmm. then they have to choose. The secondary role is to nurture, to protect, and to just be present. Be present. I think that is so crucial. It's like, I know guys that grew up with their dads who were physically present, but they were emotionally unavailable. And that's just as bad as not having a dad at all. For sure. And so being present is so important, but in my life, I think that leaving a legacy of what it looks like to follow Jesus is so important to me and that my girls, they will at least know what it looks like. Cause I know at some point in their life, they'll come back to that, yeah. whether it means extending grace or whether it means being compassionate or being patient or being kind, like all those things will come back at some point and they'll know, they'll be like, man, why did I react that way? Oh, I watched my dad do that. I watched my mom yeah. do that. Yeah. And so we leave a legacy of what it looks like for them so that hopefully, God willing, they decide to, to follow that path themselves.
0: Yeah, somebody I had on the podcast recently, I can't recall which conversation this was, but you're basically talking about your modeling life to your kids. So if you don't like what you're modeling, then change it. And this idea that traumas is passed down, like you said, like trauma's passed down. Do you choose to take responsibility or not? But the ones in the generation, the generation that chooses to face the trauma head on, and that's what you're talking about. That's what you're doing. You're facing trauma head on. Like It might have been your dad and his dad and his dad and his dad, but I'm going to face some of this head on so that then when my kid is 49 years old and a father of five girls, right, whatever, the things that they're doing are coming from a much different foundation than I had. Yeah. That's the opportunity you and I have.
1: Yeah. We're breaking generational cycles, man. Yes. You know what I mean? in everything we do, whether it's physical fitness, education, being homeowners, we don't come from that. We don't come from none of what I just said. Our family cycles are sickness, poverty not being homeowners struggle, all that abuse. Mm -hmm. I mean, you name it, right? You got to ask yourself, man, when am I going to stop the cycle? Am I going to let it repeat for another generation? And the battles that we don't fight now, our kids are going to have to fight later. Mm -hmm. So I got to take that head on now, because if not, my girls are going to have to take it head on. And I don't want them to do that.
0: Dude, just is life happening to you or for you? And it's like, am I telling my kids? Well, because the government, because the school system, because this, because that. which sure. There's a whole bunch of things that'd be great if they were different. But in our house, this is how we operate. And like you said, you know, you brought up follower of Jesus. You're teaching your children that you don't operate by the kingdoms of this world, by the rules of this world. There's a different set of rules that we're going to live by. It doesn't mean life's freaking rainbows and unicorns. If you do that, it just means that you have a different anchor that you're tying to your boat yep. and just floating around in chaos. Yep. My friend, this podcast is Fatherhood Field Notes and you're doing it. I mean, you're opening up your life, your heart to us sharing some gold. The mantra behind it is rebel and create. What is something that you're rebelling against? Because you're a man, you're a warrior, but you're not destructive. You're creating something in that space. When you hear that, what's something that Clay is rebelling against? And what are you creating in this space?
1: Yeah. So the first time that I heard someone reference that Jesus had mother-like or feminine qualities, I Mm. was offended Mm. And then I had to step back. I'm like, why am I so offended by that? And then, you know, of course, it was my own junk because we live in a society where things like emotions and nurturing have been feminized. And we also live in a society that we're like, I don't want to look like I hear a lot of kids, especially the young kids before they give another guy a compliment, they'll say, hey, no homo, but I think that hat looks great on you because they're so afraid of, right, because we live in that culture. And I grew up in a culture where things like humility and kindness and nurturing, that's for the girls, That's not for the guys. That's for the girls. So what I'm rebelling against is that you can be a warrior and still be a nurturer. You can be a warrior and still be gentle. You can be a warrior and still be compassionate and kind. In fact, if we study the life of many warriors, you will see that when they were not on the battlefield, they were all those things. And even sometimes on the battlefield, look at David, how many opportunities David had to kill Saul. Yeah. And then there's even another passage you mentioned the mighty men earlier. There's another passage in the Bible where David's hanging out with his mighty men and they see this dude that's been talking all kinds of crap about David. And one of the mighty men looks over at David and says something to the effect of like, "Give me a good reason why we should let this son of a dog keep his head on and live. Let me take his head <laughs> off." And David looks at him and says, "No, we're going to show mercy. Mm-hmm. We're going to extend yeah. grace." So I'm rebelling against the fact that if you're a warrior, that you have no mother-like or nurturing qualities. And I'm creating an atmosphere where my daughters can feel protected by a warrior, but still loved by a dad.
0: Yes. Yes. Okay. So as you're talking to me about this, I have a few thoughts and I don't want this to come off as contradictory, but I want this to come off as like our role. We still are using language like motherly. So, like a father's nurturing, I think there's a nurturing that a father brings. As you're saying this, I'm like, you know, my wheels are turning. We're vibing on this conversation. There's a nurturing that you and I bring as fathers that our wife can't bring. If I bring a gentleness to my daughter or my son, It's different than my, and my wife, same goes for her. She's got a nurturing and a strength and her strength isn't like, oh, that's your masculine father part. No, it's like you have a strength that you're going to give our daughters that I can't give. So I love this idea of nurturing. I haven't used this word very much, but I think it's good to say, hey, it's not that I'm acting like a mom right now. I'm acting like a freaking badass warrior dad. He's choosing gentleness in this moment because that's the warrior-like quality that's needed here.
1: Yeah. And just the fact that I was calling it motherly goes to show you how Our ingrained God. it is in us. Yes. Yes. That's a motherly thing. But no, it's a fatherly thing. Yes, You're right. This,
0: yes, dude. Oh my gosh. Nurturing father. Dude, I love this. Okay, so the other thing I could imagine people thinking like, oh, dude, you have five daughters. Clearly, nurturing is important because you have five daughters. But tell me <laughs> your perspective and then I'll tell you mine on because I have one son. Do sons, you are a son. So like, there you go
1: right there. Do sons need nurturing from their fathers? Okay, I didn't invent this quote, but I quote it a lot because this question comes up for me as I work with men. Yeah. Boys that aren't allowed to cry shoot bullets. Ah, wow. And I learned that from working with guys in prison, working with guys now, working with guys with father wounds, boys that aren't allowed to cry, shoot bullets. In other words, those guys right there, they're going to let those tears out at some point, And it's going to look like violence. Mm,
0: because that's the only thing that they can see is a way to let that pressure release.
1: That's right. And that's the only emotion they were ever allowed to show. Mm. You can show any other emotion. But if you showed anger, that was cool. That was acceptable.
0: Yeah. So now yeah, I'm 30 yeah.
1: years old and I've had to stuff all my emotions since I was three. And the only emotion that my father ever accepted was anger. So now as a 30 year old man, yeah, I'm going to explode. Yeah. And so boys that aren't allowed to cry, shoot bullets. That's what I tell people.
0: Oh man. And dudes, if you're listening to this, you're like, oh, that, you know, shoot bullets. That's the super rarity. Shoot bullets doesn't only mean shoot bullets out of a gun. It means hit your wife, yell at your wife, speak to your sons and daughters in a way you shouldn't. It's violent language. And when we talk about, well, is this language violent? I go back to, am I bringing life or death? Am I creating or destroying? So, like, you could say, oh, that's super aggressive. But when you speak to your wife or your daughter or your son, when you're frustrated, which is going to happen as a dad. Mm. Is it coming from a place of I'm building you up? Because father like literally means creator, like you create chaos and destruction, or you create hope, peace, love, beauty. And that's even in the discipline. That's even in the discipline, do I take this moment to build you up and come alongside you and speak life? If you're not allowing yourself to process your emotions, then you're not going to show up in a way that's building life into those that have been placed in your care and that's like our primary goal
1: yeah and i'm glad you took that analogy and you got real specific with is like it could be literal bullets because i know a lot of yeah i know that did do that yeah but it could be bullets coming out of your mouth demeaning abusing your wife your kids it could be the, the temper it could be the gambling problem it could be the porn addiction it could be all those are bullets and I'm going to tell you, in the field that I'm in right now, and working with men and boys for the last nine years, I would say it's in the high 90, more than 95% of the guys that I work with who have these addictions and these backgrounds come from a family where their emotions had to be suppressed, or else there was consequences. Like, mm-hmm. have you ever heard this term? If you're going to cry, I'm going to give you something to cry about. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, never heard that. Well, yeah. What does that teach a young boy? You better not cry. Because now I got to stop what I'm doing to deal with you. And so boys that have been raised that way, if you're going to cry, I'm gonna give you something to cry about. They've been trained and taught to stuff their emotions. Until one day, they can't stuff it no more. And they shoot bullets. And like I said, like you said, those bullets can come in all kinds of forms.
0: Yeah, dang. Our role as fathers is so much power. Like we have so much power. I think we need to realize that. It's like, man, I'm carrying around an automatic weapon all day long. Yes. Because it's like, dude, I know real easy if my wife or kids piss me off. I know how to throw grenades. I know how to put myself in the power position, the toxic power position. Man, dude, this is good. Before I move on to a couple of additional questions, I just want to check in as our time is coming. Is there any stories that you want to lean into or share that when you're falling asleep tonight, you're like, man, I wish I would have brought up X, Y, or Z on this podcast talking about fatherhood.
1: Man, there's so many, but I think about the guys that I work with all the time. And I think about just how we can take our families for granted. So my youngest daughter, the 14 year old, I remember the first time that I heard her voice from prison. So, you know, like me calling to say hi to the family. So at that time, this was in 2010, 11. And I remember the first time I heard her voice and literally the minute that I heard her voice, every squandered opportunity to spend time with her and nurture her and be there for her and be present with her came rushing in like a tidal wave. Every squandered moment, every time I took it for granted, every time it just all came running in. And and I remember that I didn't care who was around. You're not supposed to cry in prison. You're not supposed to show emotion. I'm there on the phones and there's like a day room and there's phones there. People are milling around and watching TV and doing whatever. I didn't care who saw or whatever. And honestly, I couldn't help it, even if I did care. I remember just breaking down on that phone and just dropping to my knees. And I was just like, oh my God, all these moments just came rushing back where... Dad, look, dad, pay attention. Dad, I need you. Dad, no, I'm busy. No, I got to do this email. No, I got this work thing. No, I got this project. And it all came coming back to me in that moment in time, like 2,000 squandered moments all at once. Wow. And it just hit me like a ton of bricks, bro. And so, for anybody who's listening, next time your kid wants to show you a project or let you taste their cupcakes or whatever, dad, look, be proud of me. Yes. Man, don't finish that email. Don't finish that phone call. Do that first. Yes. Because that's what they're going to remember. And that's the story yes. I, want to, I want to leave you guys with.
0: Oh, my gosh, bro. I love it. So I think some people are probably wondering, you know, like, how long were you in prison? So we know your daughter was about four years old right there. So, like, how long were you yeah. kind of away? And then you got out. And it sounds like that experience was pretty transformative where you started leaning into Because then you said, hey, nine years ago, I started working with men and boys. And so that piece, you discovered some things maybe about yourself, about the needs that men have. And you've taken whatever that experience was and have been using it to impact so that then the future for their generations and families looks different.
1: Yeah. So obviously, we don't have time to go into the whole case and all that stuff. But the journey started for me and my indictment came in 2010. And then went through all the legal stuff, the arrest, like all that. I mean, all that. And I didn't come home until 2014. Whoa. So four years. Yeah. So there was four years where my life was literally, and not just me being gone, but us losing, literally losing everything. Financially, just imagine right now, there's a knock at your door as we're doing this podcast and you are ripped away. And along with you, your bank account and everything else right now wild. So I knew of God and I knew who God was. However, I was not living for him. You know, there's a big difference between knowing, yeah, I know, I know about Jesus, but we all know you can know of him and you can follow him. And that's all a deeper conversation as well. But I had, so to speak, my come to Jesus moment in there. And I saw the damage that it did to my children of me being away. In fact, as we speak today, since I've been home in 2014, I've been working on rebuilding the relationship with all my children, all the five girls, And there's still one as we speak right now, I would say the other four, including the 30 year old, we're good. We're not perfect, but we are so good right now. But there's one who I have not been able to recoup that relationship. And there's a lot of hurt and a lot of damage and a lot of just emotion. I would even say resentment. And I've been working since that time to try to build it back. And it's not there yet. But I had that, I saw the damage that it did to my family. So I decided, I said, you know, when I get out of here, I'm going to spend the rest of my life trying to help guys avoid the things that I did. And bro, I train wrecked my family like three or or four times. And so the fact that I'm sitting here still married to this woman who's in the living room right now and alive and have my kids, it's nothing short of a miracle. Nothing short of a miracle. I'm gonna ask you this
0: question. Are you full of shit right now, Clay?
1: No, not one
0: ounce. And I'm smiling because I know that's true. And the reason why I ask the question is I go, guys, life is freaking messy, dude. And you shared gold, like, dude, got notes, you're sharing gold. And then you drop some things like, dude, I train wrecked my family three or four times. And I thank you for your honesty and vulnerability to say, I'm still working on this one. After 10 years, you're still working on this. Like dads, you never give up. You Mm. never give up. I didn't ask the question because I think that you are because anybody listening thinks you are. My point is I think some men don't take action because they feel like a fraud. And the answer is no, you're not. You're not a fraud. Just keep showing up every day fighting for what matters. And then when you mess up, don't let that be the thing that you put your identity in. Your identity is not, I went to prison. Your identity is I learned from this experience and it's making me the dad I am today. It's making me the man I am pouring into other men today.
1: Yeah, there's no magic formula, man. Being a dad is like you said, there's no magic formula. Just keep showing up. The goal should be God. Let me be better today than I was yesterday. And it's literally a daily thing. I Mm. have to get up every morning and decide that I'm going to let God in and I'm going to do my best to walk in love. And even if something goes sideways today, every day, you just got to keep showing up. It's just like the gym, bro. You got to just keep showing up. There's no magic formula. You're not going to be doing all the CrossFit stuff and be rocked and be like these guys in the CrossFit games. You're never going to be that if you stop showing up. And so many guys give up because they feel like a fraud or they feel like the odds are stacked against them or they blame it on their dads or their grandfathers. And it's like, no, man, you got to keep climbing that mountain no matter what.
0: Yeah, that's it. Wake up every day and know who you are. You are made to be a warrior. You just choose to be one or not. Yep. And I like this, the new term, the nurturing warrior.
1: The nurturing warrior, man. That's it.
0: Yeah, bro. That's so good. That's so good. All right, my friend, before I ask my last question, any last thoughts that you have? I know you just shared an incredible story. Be engaged with your kids when they come up about the cupcake and the drawing and all these things that seem like they don't matter if they matter big time. Any last thoughts before you get my final question?
1: The last thought is biblical and it's the power of life and death are in your tongue. mm. That's so real, man. I had a class last night, my class that I do with the guys. And this guy was just telling me about how his dad used to talk to him. And he's like 56, I think. And he's telling me how his dad used to talk to him when he was like 11, 10, 11. Mm. And he's talking about it now at 56. And he's broken and he's not recovered. Wow. So if, if for anyone tries to tell me that the power of life and death is not in your tongue, I would say that you're misled. And we have the power, guys, to give life to our kids and to our spouses or to bring death.
0: Mm, so good. If we walk around with that realization, that understanding, that truth, the world would look different, man, if we took that serious, if we took ownership and responsibility. That would. That would. Mm, dude, I got so many things. This has been fantastic. Here's my last question. It's a legacy question. Imagine yourself 30 years from now, bro. Okay. Coming up to 80. Damn. Standing <laughs> out on your buff. Okay. Your buff is hell, but you're 80. Okay. Okay. <laughs> So you're 80, standing out on the street, staring into the homes of your five girls. What is it that you see playing out in their homes that puts a big old smile on your face and you're like, dude, I showed up. I did the deep work.
1: Yeah. I'm looking through those windows and I am seeing love. Hmm. I'm seeing love in action. I'm seeing nurturing warriors standing next to my daughters Hmm. because they've chosen based on their dad. Yeah. So they're standing next to nurturing warriors because of me. I would go to my grave so happy if that happened.
0: Hmm. I love it. Clay, my friend, thank you for being hard to kill. Thank you for continuing to fight for your wife, for your daughters, and for being an inspiration, using your story to be an inspiration to men, not just on this podcast, but every day, choosing to live a life where you're taking the things that you have learned, both from the wins and the fails, and helping other men to discover the truth about who they are, the truth about how important they are. Keep doing what you're doing, bro. I look forward to staying connected to you until next
1: time. All right, brother. Thank you. And if there's any guys out there listening right now and you want some more help, you can find me at therelevantcounselor.com.
0: Peace. Love it. What an incredible conversation. I so loved Clay's vulnerable, open, authentic Really, the genuine way that he showed up. I desire to show up that way as a man, as a husband, as a father. The story of reconciliation. And guys, I hope that that just provides you with so much hope. No matter where you are in the journey, that there is time as a father, your heart must always be to pursue the heart of your child, not for your sake, not so that you're liked and loved, but so that they know, even if they're not showing you back, that they know they are seen, noticed, desired, and loved. Now, this can only happen, my friends, if you know who you are. Dads, our world will look different if we knew who we were. As a father, our identity is to love, serve, guide, provide, and protect. And this is why I launched Adventure of Fatherhood. Make sure to check it out, adventureoffatherhood.com. I have three online courses, Intro to Fatherhood, Discover Fatherhood. And then once you go through one of those, then the 18-year roadmap, 90-day course with yours truly. Next one starting in January. If you are on Spotify or Apple, please please write a review. It helps spread the word that fatherhood matters. Thank you to all you dads out there listening to Fatherhood Field Notes podcast. What you do matters. Don't be like everybody else. Be yourself. That is who your kids, spouse, and community needs. This is your guidance shout together. Let's rebel against the view that fatherhood has little impact and create lives engaged in mastering the craft of fatherhood. I look forward to hanging out with you next time.